some slides with today's message and uh, a couple of reasons for that. We wanted to have some cross-references. It'd be easier to get to those. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Save a little time putting those cross-references on the screen. And then there's some, also some principles that I'd like us to look at kind of together as a group, as a whole, that may uh, help us to remember these principles if we see them on screen one by one like that. So we're going to use a keynote today. But I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, the title of today's message is Redeemed by His Blood. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12. The last words of Christ on the cross, the last words, it is finished. It is finished. John 19.30. And that's why we can be redeemed by his blood. He paid it all. He paid it all. He paid, he is, Jesus is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And it is finished. It's been paid in full. Some people aren't interested though. And because Jesus paid it in full, for us it's a free gift we can receive, but some people uh, want to try to pay their own way. And uh, that's, that's a false religious technique, that's a false uh, religious idea that you can come unto God your own way, work your way to God, and so on. We, we can't do it. Jesus is the one that finished the work. And so we can't be saved by our works, but we can be saved through His work. We can be saved through His blood, and we're going to look at that today. Now, before we get too far in the message, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the plan that we heard uh, in Sunday school. We heard in the special music. And we'll see as one of the points in today's lesson, your plan. Your plan. Lord, we thank you. We're not worthy, and it wasn't because of anything in us or any worthiness that we have that you sent your son to die for us, but you did. And Lord, we thank you that he died and rose again and that we can have hope beyond the grave when we put our faith in him as our redeemer. Pray that today we'll be reminded of these things and encouraged in these things maybe in a fresh way. We ask all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Redeemed by his blood. There's a few cross-references, and again, to save some time and some page turning, we'll just put them up on screen for today. Um, but I do want you to see these. Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath, has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Do you have that today? Do you have the forgiveness of sins? If you say, yes, I have the forgiveness of sins, then you have redemption through His blood. You have the Redeemer who shed His blood. You have Jesus because, folks, that's the only way you can have forgiveness of sins. We can't atone for our own sins. Jesus paid it all. And in another passage in the New Testament, the same phrase, Ephesians 1, 6 and 7, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. We do not make our, ourselves accepted to God. Can't do it. Our sin separates us from God, but He can make us accepted in the Beloved, in the Beloved Son. When we come unto Christ and we receive Him, God looks at us, He sees His Son, and no longer our sin. 
in whom we have redemption through His blood, which washes our sins away. Doesn't mean we're perfect after we've gotten saved, but our faith is in the one who is perfect. Our faith is in the one who is perfecting us. And that's the start of the process. When we say yes to the gospel and receive Christ, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We put our faith in that blood. Look at Romans 3 24 through 26. Being justified freely by his grace, not by anything we do, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a mercy seat, through faith in His blood. We trust Him. We trust His finished work. We don't trust ourselves. We don't trust a religious system or what somebody else told us or what we grew up believing. We trust the Word of God. We trust the God of the Word. And He points us to putting our faith in the finished work of Christ faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of Him with which what? Believeth in Jesus. That's what we all need. Believeth in Jesus. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And it's not the blood plus something else. It's the blood. Amen? It's His blood. Amen? All you need, all I need, all we need is Jesus. Amen? So as we consider those New Testament passages that talk about the blood of the Lamb, we take that with us. Understanding the Bible is one book, right? One book, one focus, as Pastor teaches very often. One book, one focus. As we take those New Testament passages, we keep those in mind, and we go into the Old Testament and we see God working the Gospel in the Old Testament in kind of a seed form, right? We see that in the Old Testament in seed form. We see the blood of the Lamb here at the Passover. Now, the blood of the Lamb was not something optional on this night, was it? It wasn't optional. Well, I mean, it was. You could make the wrong choice, but you'd regret making the wrong choice if that blood was not applied. All right, the blood of the lamb was absolutely essential. Remember the Israelites here in Exodus 12, they're in Egypt, they're in bondage. Egypt is a picture of the evil world system that is anti-God, anti-Christ. Egypt, in, in this narrative here, I'm not talking about the nation, the people, I'm talking about in this narrative, the heart attitude of Pharaoh, the heart attitude of this generation we're talking about in Egypt, that's the reason why Egypt pictures the world. Nothing against Egyptian people, but this Pharaoh, this generation, they had a hard attitude against God. And that reminds us of the world that's anti-God. So Egypt pictures the world. And bondage pictures sin, because sin, you might think, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. No, you're a slave to sin. And that's all you know how to do is just follow those desires of the flesh. God wants to free us from that, save us from our sins, forgive us for our sins, and give us brand new life. And we see a picture of that in Exodus 12. We see it in seed form. We looked at it in the New Testament, kind of fully developed. Now we're going to see it in seed form. So the clearest reference in the Old Testament to redemption by the blood is Exodus 12. So let's look. We're going to, we're going to look very quickly at a few principles, and then we'll be done today. But I want you to look there at verse 1. Exodus 12, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, we have to stop because we've already come to our first principle, and that is redemption is a provision of God. God's plan, as they, as they sung about it, right? 
And the, notice verse 1. And the Lord spake. Everything is going to be said here. Moses received that firsthand from God. The Lord spake. It's his plan. Moses and Aaron didn't get together and say, well, we should come up with something. Uh, let's see what we come up with. Let's start uh, so, some religious activity. Let's do that. No, no. This was God's plan. Amen. Redemption is the plan. And by the way, the provision of God. The provision of God. And redemption goes back further than this. Go on to Exodus 12. That's a long way back in history. A long way back. Redemption, God's plan of redemption, goes back way further than that. Cain and Abel knew enough, even though Cain made the wrong choice, they knew enough to come to God through faith in the blood. They may not have understood John 3.16 the way we do, but they understood that God said, no, you can't come to me any way you want. Cain thought he could, though. Cain became the father of all false religion. Why? Because Cain came his own way. Cain did his best. He gave his best. I'm sure he put his best foot forward. But Cain still had a sin problem that he'd be dealt with, you see. And Cain brought his works, trying to work his way to God, and said, you'll never be able to work that hard. You're going to try to build a ladder to heaven? You can't climb that high. He said, come by the blood, because Christ was going to build the bridge between heaven and earth. See, Abel came through faith in the blood, maybe not understanding everything about it, but he came through faith in what God said. Just like on the Passover. They may not have understood the way we do. We have the whole canon of Scripture, right? We have more light and more responsibility, by the way. They may not have understood the way, the way we do, but they put their faith in what God said. And in putting their faith in what God said, they put their faith in the blood of the Lamb. Cain came his own way. Abel came through the blood. But it goes back further than that. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, doesn't it? This plan. God's plan. God's provision. When Adam and Eve sinned, and they are everybody's forefather, you know, Adam is our, is our forefather, our, our ancestor. We're all related to Adam. That sin's been passed on generation to generation. When Adam and Eve sinned, there was innocent blood that was shed, and God was the one who shed that innocent blood to cover them in those coats of skin. And the first time the blood was shed, God was demonstrating to them what he had already promised them earlier, that same day, in Genesis 3.15, right? That one day... Uh, the coming Redeemer is going to take care of everything. There's a Redeemer coming, and this blood that's shed, this first blood that's shed, is going to picture the blood that He's going to shed on the cross of Calvary. Amen. Redemption is a provision of God. It was ordained by God, and one day when Jesus said, it is finished, it was accomplished by God as well. That's the first principle we see. The second thing we're going to look at is the new beginning. Take a look at verse 2. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Okay, so another principle we can see right on the surface there is that redemption is a new beginning for the redeemed, for the believer. It's a new beginning. It's brand new. Um, you ever stop to think about the fact, this beginning of months here, that the Jewish calendar was established by God? that um, he gave them this starting point and by which the rest of their calendar was later developed. This is the beginning of months. In fact, the most significant event of the new year would be the Passover, every new year. Now, they actually observed it from the 10th to the 14th, around the middle of the month, but I guarantee you, from New Year's Day until the 9th, they were planning for it. See, this was the most significant event of the new year. Now, if the most significant event of the new year is related to redemption by blood, 
then that was a reminder to them and should be to us that everything else in that year that happens in the life of a redeemed child of God is because of the blood. We live our lives under the blood. Everything in the year, all the feasts that they had, everything else they went through, it wouldn't have had any significance if it wasn't for the blood. Amen? Amen? It's because of the blood. We live our lives every day, all day, all year because of the blood as blood-bought people, as children of God. And the nations around them didn't understand that. But we'll talk about later on. Some of them did, did want to know more about this. And some of the people from the nations around them did receive this Redeemer. And we'll, we'll talk about that. And that's the, the same uh, mission we have today is to be a light to those around us. We're supposed to be different. Things are supposed to be new. If you're in Christ, there's been a change. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Again, we're not perfect, but people can see Christ in us. When we fail, they're seeing the real us. When we do anything right as Christians, they're seeing Christ. To the extent that we can show them Christ, they're seeing Christ. Redemption is a new beginning. The third principle we're going to consider is tell everybody. Tell everybody. Take a look at verse 3. Um, it says, at the beginning of verse 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel. So the third principle is redemption is to be proclaimed to all. Should be proclaimed to all. Now, everybody must hear this gospel message. Yes, it's starting with the Jews. It wasn't ever meant to be limited to the Jews, right? Amen? Um, in fact, if you turn in your Bibles, in this very chapter, in this very chapter, go to verse 38 of Exodus 12. Exodus 12, 38, and a mixed multitude went up also with them. A mixed multitude. What's that mean? Some non Jews. Some, some that were not of the children of Israel got saved, put their faith in the God of Israel, put their faith in the Redeemer. A mixed multitude. In fact, jump down to verse 48. What about, uh, you know, how should we observe the Passover in the future? And is this a Jewish elite thing that nobody else is involved to participate in and nobody can know our God? That's, that's, no, not at all. They were meant to be a lighthouse to everybody. Verse 48, And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his... Males be circumcised as an outward demonstration of an inward faith. And let, them, let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is home-born and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. To that one who's saying yes to the gospel, they can have the God of that gospel. In fact, God told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 10.19, Love the stranger. Love the stranger. Be a witness to the stranger. Now we understand that when they went in the promised land, um, there was a judgment upon people there, the Canaanites and all those nations around there. There was a judgment and God was going to use the Israelites to exercise that judgment. But why is that? It's because God had given those people hundreds, literally hundreds of years to repent. He'd given them light. He'd given them the truth. He'd given them hundreds of years to repent and they just weren't interested. And they had said their final no to God. That's a dangerous place to be, to say your final no to God. And the more times somebody says no to God, uh, the less convicted they are about their need to, to actually come to Him. It's a dangerous thing. When you feel the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart, that's the time to open the door. Amen? Amen? And the Canaanites, they, they, just, they just said, no, I don't want that. And they were under God's judgment. But even being under God's judgment, any individual Canaanite could still say, I don't want the wrath of God. Can I have the grace that you've received? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You say, well, who, who said that among the Canaanites? Well, what about Rahab? Remember her? Rahab the Canaanite said yes to the Redeemer. 
I've just listed a few others, Ruth the Moabite, Naaman the Syrian, Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian, and back in the New, and over in the New Testament, the woman of Samaria, John chapter 4, the man of Ethiopia, Acts chapter 8, Cornelius the Roman, Acts chapter 10. See, uh, the Bible says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And in that day, that was just kind of an easy way of, you know, I can either say the Jew first, or I can list a whole bunch of other nationalities, or I can just say Greek. Because of the influence of Alexander the Great, and the, the culture was very Greek. So if you weren't a Jew, you were a Greek. So what he's saying is, it came to the Jew first, yes, but the Jew was supposed to be a missionary to the Greek. The, Jew was supposed, the Jewish people, Israel, they were supposed to be a missionary nation to those around them. And they were at times, but they weren't at times as well. How about, how about the church in the New Testament? We're supposed to be that all the time. And, and unfortunately, we're not at times as well. God help us to be more than we are. Mark 16, 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. Redemption is to be proclaimed to all. The next thing we consider is that the reason why it's supposed to be proclaimed to all because it's a universal need. Let's go back to verse 3. We'll take verses 3 and 4. Exodus 12.3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them, notice the wording here, every man, every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the Lamb. Remember, this, all of this that we're seeing here pictures redemption in the spiritual sense. All of this that they're going through with the Passover. And so principle number four, redemption is needed for every man and every woman. All mankind is the idea there. All mankind. All mankind. And that's the reason, by the way, that redemption needs to be proclaimed to all is because it's needed by all. It's a universal need. Um, Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous. Now, he could have ended the statement there. Could have said, yeah, there's none righteous. But he continues and he says, no, not one. Because you and I might be inclined to say, well, he says none righteous. I wonder if that's kind of an umbrella term, but I know somebody who might be, no, not one. None of us have our own righteousness that we can stand before God in that. We dare not. We better stand before God, washed in the blood of Christ, standing before God in his righteousness. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it was an exchange of record books, right? Uh, basically, our record book is just filled with sin. Page after page after page, filled with sin. Jesus, if you were to look at his record book, didn't have a single sin on a single page. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll take your record book to the cross and die for those sins, and if you believe me, you trust in me, you can have my righteousness when you stand before God the Father. It's an exchange. That's what salvation is. Exchanging record books. Jesus takes our sins away. We receive his righteousness. Because we don't have any of our own. It's a universal need. Um, I want to read, you don't have to turn there, but I want to read another passage in Romans along these lines very quickly. Just listen to this. You, you'll recognize the passage right away. Most of you will. Uh, Romans 10, listen to this. 12 and 13. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Remember, that's everybody, right? New Testament way of saying everybody. There's no difference between the Jew and anybody else. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. 
Amen. And then it says, for whosoever. And Brother Glenn reminds us often of when he was saved. He, he thought, you know, God will never forgive me. There's no hope for me. God doesn't want me. And he, he gave the Bible back to his grandmother who had given it to him. And his grandmother said, you know, let's look at a verse together and showed him John 3.16. And that same word occurs there, whosoever. But for the first time in his life, uh, someone told him that that means you. You can put your name there. And if you haven't circled that in John 3.16 and put your name next to it in your Bible, you should. And here too, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody, everybody, you can have this redemption. You can have this salvation. And we all need, we all need it. We all need it. The next thing we're going to consider is the Lamb of God. And there's a principle I'll mention in a moment associated with this. But this Lamb... This lamb in the Old Testament, when you read verses 5 through 10, I want you to think about Christ, the Lamb of God in the New Testament. See the similarities. Verse 5, for your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of, of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire." So the next principle we want to consider here in this passage is that redemption by blood in the Old Testament pictures the cross of Christ in the New Testament. The Passover here, where they're putting the blood on the wood in front of their houses, pictures the wooden cross of Christ with his blood that ended up on that cross. The cross of Christ in the New Testament. Did you see some similarities in what we read between this lamb on Passover night and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Well, I'll just mention a few. There's many we could mention, but we'll just look at a few. Verse 5, this was to be a lamb without blemish. Christ, as we've already mentioned, was without sin as the Son of God, the perfect sacrifice. By the way, the perfect substitute in our place for us, the only substitute who could die for us. You notice um, in verse 6, the lamb was killed, and we know that Christ died for us. The lamb's blood was shed. Christ's blood was shed. But the lamb's blood was also applied. And this is very important, right? The lamb's blood could have been shed, but if it had not been applied to the doorposts, the people on the inside would have been under judgment. The, the blood had to be applied. The lamb's blood was applied to the houses. And when you say yes to the gospel, I'm not saying when you understand every detail. I'm not saying when you can uh, pass a Bible quiz of some. I'm not saying all of that. I'm saying when you say yes to the gospel, when you say, Lord, I, there's a lot I don't understand, but one thing I see clearly that I've never seen before is I have a need for you. Can I have you? Can I have that gospel? Can I have that redemption? And God will say yes, because you know why? You're one of the whosoevers. Amen? Amen? God will say yes to that. That's what God wants to do in every single one of us. The blood will be applied when you do that. They had to apply the blood to their houses, and Christ's blood is applied to your account when you receive Christ as your Savior. That blood is applied to your account. God sees the blood 
on your account. We also see that the lamb became a whole burnt offering here in this passage, and Christ gave his all, didn't he? And the lamb was eaten. And we, by faith, we partake of Christ. We receive Christ. He refers to himself as a bread of life in the New Testament. We receive Christ. We partake of Christ by faith. You see that parallel. So redemption by blood in the Old Testament pictures the cross of Christ in the New Testament. Another thing I want us to consider, we mentioned that there was a need here, a universal need, but folks, it's also an urgent need. There can be a universal need. People say, oh yeah, everybody needs that and, and you know, I'll, I'll look into that one day. Oh, don't do that. It's an urgent need. Let's look at verse 11. Verse 11. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded. Be ready to go. Your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Principle, principle 6. And we've only got a couple more after this one. Principle 6. Redemption is a person's most urgent need. It's a universal need. We talked about that, but it's also an urgent need. They were to eat the Passover quickly, fully dressed, ready to walk out that door. They were to eat the Passover in haste, fully expecting what God said was going to happen that night was going to happen that night. Judgment was going to fall, and you better be under the blood when it does. Jesus says in the New Testament, Behold, I come quickly. And the, and the question we need to ask ourselves, each of us, are you ready? What if it were today? Are you ready? The Bible says in Hebrews 3, Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your heart. And see, that's what sometimes we do. That's what I know I did the first time I heard it. I didn't open my heart to Christ the first time I heard the Gospel. I was doing my own thing. But see, it's a dangerous way to live to kind of do your own thing. Or to kind of decide what, what you think God is all about. Find out who God really is. And come to Him and harden not your heart. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8.2, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. So the question is, are you ready? Are you redeemed? Because there is nothing more important than this. Nothing. This is our most urgent need. You must be born again. The next thing we see, a little bit more about the blood being applied. Let's take a look at verse 12. God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods, lowercase g, false gods, of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. You ever wonder why uh, they had to cycle through ten plagues? Ten, I mean, this is the tenth plague here. And you say, wow, God's being really hard on those Egyptians. Well, you know, going through ten plagues it would be pretty hard to go through. But you ever thought about it this way? He could have just started with this one, right? He could have just had something so severe that they'd all been dead, right? He gave them ten plagues because he was giving them every time a plague came and was lifted in God's grace. It didn't remain. It was lifted. Moses prayed and God lifted that plague. Every single time that process happened, God was giving the Egyptians opportunity after opportunity to repent, and some did. They went out, they left with a mixed multitude. There were some Egyptians, for sure, in that group that did come unto redemption. But many didn't. There were ten plagues because of the grace of God. Now, God's judgment is severe, and we don't want to in any way tone that down. God's judgment is severe. You can have grace or judgment. You want grace. 
Amen? But there were 10 plagues to give them space to repent, opportunities to repent. You say, well, doesn't it tell us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Yeah, it does. And as many times as it says that, it also says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Amen? So what's really going on? What's really going on is God let Pharaoh have his own way. Pharaoh came to a point, as far as we know, from the history, from the record, as far as we know, he died in his sins. He died saying his final no to God. And God let him have his own way. God gives us free will. God knows what's best for us. His will is best for us. It's best if we submit our free will to his sovereign will and say, Lord, I need you. I don't need me. I've messed things up enough. I need you. And uh, Pharaoh hardened his own heart and God let him, let him have that. That's the idea there. But notice in verse 13, the blood applied. Verse 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token, a sign, upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Principle number seven. Redemption takes place when the blood is applied. You, you could... If somebody, if the blood had been shed but not put on the doorpost, it would have done that house no good. They had to have faith in what God said and to act on that faith. The blood had to be applied to the doorposts. And you can hear the gospel and have some kind of mental understanding and even kind of mentally say, yeah, that sounds reasonable and I think that's right. But it never gets from the head to the heart. The blood's never applied to your heart, to your account. It's all just a mental thing. Oh, that's very interesting. But you never come to the Redeemer. See, it's not just about satisfying some religious curiosity. It's about life eternal. It's about life and death. It's about heaven and hell. That's why this is everybody's most urgent need. Is the blood, has the blood ever been applied to your account? If you're a Christian in here and you've received Christ, you can say yes to that. But if you've never received Christ, the blood hasn't been applied yet, but it can be. It can be. You say, well, how can it be? By grace through faith passage we looked at earlier. Let's look at it again. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Trust him. Trust his finished work to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare at this time, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier you can stand before God justified only this way, the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Faith in his blood. Faith in his righteousness. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He took our sin to the cross. The weight of our sin was upon him. The condemnation of our sin was upon him. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. There's that exchange of record books. Have you made the exchange yet? You can today. You can put your faith in Christ and His finished work. You can have that blood applied to the door of your heart, to your account. His righteousness. And by the way, His inheritance, which means His future. And that's the final principle we're going to look at, talking about the future. We'll look at one last verse and we're done. Verse 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. Last principle we consider is that although redemption occurs at a moment in time for the person who trusts Christ, for the believer, it's a moment in time, 
the results of that redemption last forever. Amen? It's eternal. In fact, Jesus says in John 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus gives that. Nobody else gives. The church can't give you that. Religion can't give you that. You can't earn that. Jesus gives eternal life. And the passage we looked at to start out, or we read earlier during the scripture reading, we have, how do we have this eternal redemption? The same thing we've been talking about all day, or all, all this, this service, by his own blood, by his own blood. 